This is all Mountain Media. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp.com and PrideCounseling.com. Stay tuned for an exclusive offer for listeners of this podcast. I gotta do it. Uh, leave him be, Johnny. Leave him be? I ain't gonna lose pay on account of his sorry ass. Hey, Billy, you're slowing us down. Get it together. Hey, I'm trying my best. Doesn't help we've been sleeping on the boards every night tossing our guts out. Yeah, well, save your belly aching for another day. We gotta haul those nets in. Your line is slipping. I'm not losing my bounty because of you. It's 1904, aboard a fishing boat called the Fearless, which is off the coast of Aberdeen, Washington, near the Grays Harbor Inlet. Billy and his crew have been working the waters to drag in as much cargo as possible before heading into the city to offload their quarry. After two solid weeks of sleeping on the floorboards, drinking month-old swill, and having a handful of oat mush each morning, he was ready to get back to dry land. He knew the captain was going to keep most of his earnings, and his frustration was reaching a boiling point. Hey, uh, Johnny, what you gonna do when we get back to land? You gonna go save up for a house or a shop? Hell no. That'll take me years. No, I'm gonna find me a nice lady for the evening, get good and drunk, and try my hands at the poker tables. What's the point of dreaming for a better life when I know those damn crimps are just gonna sell me off to another ship? I hear ya. But I'm sick of this. I'm sick of being a slave to these captains. I've been all over this world. And it's the same everywhere. We're getting the slack end of the deal. It ain't no way to live, I tell ya. When we get back, I'm gonna set up shop. Maybe sell a paper. Maybe sell cigars. I gotta do something to get off these damn boats. As the sun sets over the Pacific Ocean, the boat makes its way into Grays Harbor. Hundreds of ships are crossing paths, fighting over the limited dock space, and Billy's mind races. There's gotta be a better way of life than this waiting for me. None of these sailors see the need to actually save their keep. What the hell is wrong with these guys? Billy continues to drink as the boat docks, surrounded by sailors and dock workers that are intent on finding their own fortune without the help of others. If only these guys would come together to fight the system that seems to hate us, we'd be free to do what we want, when we want, and how we want. As Billy steps off the boat, he's determined to recruit a group of sailors to come up with an idea to save their money and fight back as the unions seem to be worthless. First, it's time to hit the town. Evening, Lars. You got a nice smoke for me? Why, sure I do, Billy. Got some nice imports straight from San Fran this morning. How was the trip? Eh, you know, it's hell out there. Ain't no way to live. Sleeping in filth, drinking fermented milk. 
That goddamn swill turns my stomach. But what else can I do? I gotta keep pushing on. Well, that's life at sea, I suppose. But say, you know, I need someone to help me out here. Someone to watch the counter and help with the books. You seem like a smart fella. How about you join me? What? Me? Sell cigars? I was just talking about that with the crew on board, but yeah, I think I could do that. What's the take? Well, uh, how about I throw you in for 15% of the profits? I'm doing quite well. What with the new casinos and cat houses being raised in every direction. I could use you. 15, huh? That sounds interesting. What you really need is someone to hit the streets. Talk up the crowd. Lure them in. You need a salesman. I bet I can double your profits in one week. I think that's worth a hell of a lot more than 15%. Now come on, Billy. You gotta start somewhere. I tell you what. How about 18? 18? Well, if I double your profits by next week, I think that's worth a cool 40%. 40? Are you insane? All right, all right. 30. But that's it. And you know how good I am out there talking folks up. I think you'll see I'm worth more than 30. But I'll start there. 30. Ugh. You're killing me, Billy. All right, you sly fox. 30 it is. Billy reaches across the counter, shakes Lars's hand in agreement, and then grabs a wooden match from the counter and lights a cigar. This was it. This was how he was going to make his money, under the guise of a cigar salesman, and then bring the trust of the town under his wing to keep their money with him. But first, he needed to make a name for himself. Say, uh, Lars, how you feel about the SUP? Sailor's Union of the Pacific? More like Sailor's Union of the Pathetic. Yeah, that's my thought, too. I was thinking about getting involved, seeing what I can do for the sailors in town, fix their living situations, provide safer work, and keep their money safe while they're at sea. Well, Billy, I'd say that with your negotiation tactics, you'd be the perfect fit to represent the SUP. Maybe you can get in there and shake things up, create a stir, fix this town. Yeah, yeah, I think I'll run for office. I think it's time. But to be a man of the people, I gotta find me a lady to be at my side. You know, seem the part of a sophisticate. I think I can do that. I'm gonna head on down to the Grand Saloon. See if I can't romance someone up. <laughs> Good luck, Billy. Good luck. Be careful. You're already three sheets to the wind. Ah, come on, Lars. You know I can hold my own. You can't even tell. Billy takes his leave of the cigar shop a spring in his drunken step, and heads over to the Grand. There's got to be some ladies in here interested in a fellow like me. He opens the door, and there she is. A dance hall girl up on stage, swinging her legs back and forth, the flurry of her dress flashing before him. Tall, robust, and with soft eyes, the dancer catches his eye. She scowls at Billy, showing discontent. He'd been watching her every time he was on land, and she's sick of him gawking at her. As the song ends, she jumps off the stage, walks up to him, her hands on her hips, and stares directly in his eyes. Listen, I told you to stop coming in here and staring me down. You give me the creeps. Ain't you got anywhere else to be? Ah, come on now. You know I'm just admiring the view. You're the prettiest little thing in here, in the entire town. Don't you want to at least give me a chance? No. No, I don't. You're different than these other fellas. It's like you stare into my soul, like you got bad intentions. I don't want to be around that. You're trouble. You're nothing but trouble. The girl turns on her heels to walk away, but not before Billy reaches out and grabs her by the waist. 
Hey, let go of me! She swings around, throws a tight fist towards Billy's face, and lands a punch just below his left eye. Billy stammers and falls on his backside, dazed and confused, seeing stars. The room is spinning, and the swill is making its way up in his throat. He lies down on the floor, the few patrons of the saloon around him laughing and cheering the dancer on. She starts to kick Billy in the ribs. Finally, after a final kick, she bends down and grabs Billy by the arm. You see, I ain't to be trifled with. Now you listen here. If you really want to do something to win me over, then you'll keep away, or I'll kick you when you're down again. You hear? Yeah, yeah, I hear. I'm sorry, hon. I just can't help myself. And you're a fighter. Just what this town needs. As Billy gets to his feet, he throws a coin on the bar, and two shots of whiskey come sliding his way. Here, take this as an apology. I'll leave you be. But just think. With you and me together, we'd be unstoppable. I'm stubborn, you've already said that. And you, well, you're a fighter. What do you say? Can we work something out? The girl stands still, then throws back her shot of whiskey, not taking her eyes off Billy. Let me think about it, you rascal. I gotta get back on stage. Now that you know my strength, maybe I'll just give you a chance. Billy watches as she jumps back up on stage, shaking her hips, throwing her legs around. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever felt like you're in a tunnel? The sides are closing in on you. You're unable to escape the overwhelming feelings of unhappiness, anger, worry, or fear. I have, many times. Over the years, I've tried to solve my own problems, lean on myself, and suppress the depression of my past and the anxiety of my future. Then I decided to do something about it. And while I'm still a work in progress, I know that without getting help, those invisible monsters would reach for any opportunity they can to consume me. They still do. But with online therapy, I'm conquering those monsters. And it feels good. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is, therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work. Maybe you're not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And special offer to Legends and Tales of the Pacific Northwest listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash PNW. That's betterhelp.com slash PNW. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. Oh, 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 oh,
Mountain Media, I'm your host and writer, Russ Blackmore, and this is Legends and Tales of the Pacific Northwest, Season 2, Billy Gole, the Ghoul of Grays Harbor. A series about one of the most prolific serial killers in United States history from the small town of Aberdeen, Washington. A killer that nearly got away with murder. This is Episode 2, Hiding in Plain Sight. Bessie Hager was only 27 years old when she met Billy. He'd been lingering around the Grand Saloon for months, and she had finally had it. But his persistence and determination to win her over had finally done it. She was in love with the 32-year-old sweet-talker. Gole was not only fond of Bessie for her looks and tough demeanor, but there was something else that attracted him. Bessie was the cousin of notorious outlaws Frank and Jesse James. He thought that this association would draw in the crowds, bringing new members into the union, and the two of them became the talk of the town and the voice of the voiceless. Side by side, they would bring Aberdeen together, as Billy served as head of the Sailors' Union of the Pacific, with Bessie by his side wooing the sailors into submission, persuading them to entrust their money into Gole's safekeeping. Gole had finally set up Union headquarters above the Grand Saloon, but was intent on creating a smaller home base where he could keep the earnings of the sailors safe, earning interest, and even keeping some of the funds for himself. In his small office, he hung pictures of various outlaws of the day, He'd talk about the James's boys any chance he'd get, often bragging about his relationship to the James boys of Missouri. They fought the system, and that was his goal as well. You see, over time Billy became two people. On the surface, he was a man of the commoner. He knew how to talk to them, and at their level, and he knew what their frustrations were. He could rouse up a crowd easily and create mobs whenever needed to storm the docks and take on the captains. Fighting was commonplace, and the sailors loved him. I'm with you. I'm one of you, and we're going to fight to take on a system that cheats you, that owns you. You want better wages? You want safer lodgings? Then we got to fight. we got to walk down the docks, and we got to take what's ours. No more will we let the crimps and the captains own us. No more will we let them tear us down. We're Americans. This is our land, the land of the free. Damn those bastards. But underneath, Gole was not who he appeared to be. Manipulative, self-absorbed, and cunning, he had plans to steal the money, delivering sailors, or slaves, to the captains of the ships, earning kickbacks, and claiming what he thought was rightfully his. And if a few men died in the process, well, so be it. They'd probably be better off. Gole assembled a gang of ruffians to surround him, almost like bodyguards. The captains and crimps would pretend to attack him, riling up sailors who would in turn trust their money with gold, and the cycle of payoffs would continue. A. W. Jakobsen, John Klingenberg, John Hoffman, Charles Hadberg, and Loritz Jensen, also known as the Weasel. They would fight alongside Gole. Later on, this gang would be his undoing, but for now, they were the muscle he needed. Gold started to steal from other businesses in the area. He would then sell their goods in bulk at prices that the sailors could afford, and his band of thugs would stay by his side, supporting his thieving endeavors. They would often take the blame if Gold was ever accused of the crimes he was committing.
Stealing goods was Gull's first escapade into the dark world of crime that would later lead to kidnapping and murder. Gull was becoming unhinged. He thought he was above the law. He knew that if he could get away with stealing goods, then stealing lives wouldn't be that much more difficult. In a town of 50,000, he would lurk in the shadows. No one would know the better and would assume the missing men took their own lives or were lost at sea. Gull would be rich and he would be hiding in plain sight. The killing began and the bodies began to pile up. Gull's arrogance got the best of him, and later in his life, he would recall his early murders. One scab betrayed the Union. I shot the son of a bitch from my office with a Winchester. I bet that scab won't cross me again. Shortly after his first shooting, which he somehow got away with. He held four Union linebreakers at gunpoint, forcing them to board a small dinghy where he rode them out to the mudflats in the middle of the bay at low tide. He forced them out of the boat, leaving them waist-high in freezing water and stuck in the mud. The area was known as Moon Island and was only bare at low tide. He then rode back to shore, leaving the men to a watery death. I rode away, and I could hear them yelling and splashing about as the water came up over the ground. I had a big laugh, for all of them had told me they couldn't swim. (laughs) Without enough evidence, or any way to tie him to the murder, Gold's hunger for power grew. He felt invincible, untouchable. He could do whatever he wanted, and none would be the wiser. This episode is sponsored by Pride Counseling. We live in a world of mystery, of unanswered questions, of constant bombardment from endless opinions, and mostly from questions within ourselves. I've taken advantage of online therapy and have seen the benefits as a professional, a father, a spouse, and a friend. And without the help from online counseling, I would most likely still be stuck in the ruts of uncertainty and bleakness. We all struggle with our own true nature at one point or another, or we know someone who has. Therapy can be the difference between happiness and overwhelming darkness. Pride Counseling is affordable, private online counseling for the LGBTQIA community. You can get access to licensed, trained, fully accredited counselors and therapists that are LGBTQIA friendly. These counselors and therapists have at least three years of experience, at least 2,000 hours of hands-on experience, and are qualified and certified by their state's professional board. All you need to do is go to pridecounseling.com slash pnwpod. Fill out a questionnaire, get matched with the counselor who is perfect for you, and you can start counseling today. It's more affordable than in-person counseling. And if you can't afford counseling, there is financial aid available that you can apply for. You get unlimited 24-7 messaging with your counselor, meaning you're connected with a counselor the entire time via your phone or computer, and you can schedule live video, phone, or text sessions with your counselor as well. 
With Pride Counseling, you're not wasting time traveling, and if you don't vibe with the therapist you're matched with, you can switch. Best of all, you connect from the comfort of your home. Half the battle of getting into counseling is getting to the counselor, and Pride Counseling eliminates that hassle. Plus, a lot of people in the LGBTQIA community are not comfortable talking to a therapist in person, out of fear of discrimination, or perhaps they just don't have access to a therapist that specializes in what they're struggling with. With Pride Counseling, you can connect with an LGBTQIA counselor from anywhere. And as a special offer to Legends and Tales of the Pacific Northwest listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at pridecounseling.com slash pnwpod. That's P-N-W-P-O-D. Again, that link is pridecounseling.com slash pnwpod. Thank you to Pride Counseling for sponsoring this podcast. Listen up there, guys. I just got word that my wife is ill and heading to the sanatorium. I'm heading back on land aboard the Trepid. Their captain is heading in anyway. I'll come back once I know how she's doing, so keep at the hauling. We've got a massive quota to fill. I'm putting Amos, Jacob, and Fritzy in charge. The rest of you, you follow their lead. I don't want to hear about any slacking in my absence. See you soon. God, Lilliquist is a tyrant. Won't he let us take a break? Yeah. Yeah, I joined the union to avoid this type of slavery. Where are the union reps? Why are we still working our hides off and seeing no increase in pay? Damned captains. I got a kid on the way and my wife's sick mother to take care of. Word is, there's also a scab on board. I don't know who it is, but I've got an idea. Y- you see Vance over there on the bow line? I haven't seen him at any of the SUP meetings or noticed his name on the money-keeping ledger. Plus, when he tries to talk about union actions, he sounds like an idiot. Like he has no idea what he's saying. God, I hope he's Union. Did you hear what Gole and his gang did last June on the Bonnie Lee as she made her way to Mexico? He heard there was a scab and chased after the ship. They boarded, and Gole put a bullet in the scab's head. I know he was a scab, but even so. Gunfights? On ships? Who the hell does he think he is, an outlaw? Yup, that's exactly who he thinks he is. Just because Mrs. Gole is kin to Jesse and Frank James. Like he's some sort of cowboy. He's just a bully with a gun, even if he is representing us in the Union. Murder? Just for a guy trying to make a living? These scabs never last anyway. We should just be grateful for their help and send them on their way. Hey, hey, is that boat heading toward us? Looks like the water boy. It's moving pretty fast. It's full of at least a dozen or so men. You see that? Yeah, I see it. They look to be in a mighty hurry. Oh, no. Fellas, get down! Gold and his gang are coming! If you ain't one of us carrying your SUP card, I'd jump ship now. A young man around 25 years old jumps over the edge of the boat, landing in a small dory that's tied to the side of the schooner, called the Fearless. He throws the tiny mast up, and the white torn sail grabs at the wind like a hand trying to grab smoke. The waterboy pulls aside the Fearless, Gull and his men aim their rifles and pistols at the crew, firing warning shots over the crew's head. The crew ducks, scared as to what is about to happen. All right, you men. I hear there's a scab aboard the ship. 
You know what we do. You know what we want. If you're the scab, you come on forward now. We'll send you off to the land, no harm but a kick in the ass. But if you don't, we're going to take out more than just you. We're going to start by taking out the rest of the crew. Let's go now. We don't need any bloodshed, but we ain't afraid to start shooting neither. Hey, Gold, look at that little boat. Damned fool on it is trying to pick up some wind. <laughs> hey, hey, you, get back here, you scab. I ain't no scab. I'm one of you, but I ain't waiting around to be shot. Sure you ain't. You're sailing off and you ain't a scab? I bet you're a scab and we're coming for you. Hoffman, Hadberg, Weasel, get over to that cable and lift it up. Damn fool is stuck on it. He ain't going nowhere. Let's get him back here. The dory starts to buck up and down as the three gold gang members start to pull on the cable. All of a sudden, it capsizes, sending its passenger over the side. Help! Help! I can't swim! I can't swim! The lone sailor flails in the water, his hands splashing about as he gulps for air. Gol and his gang stay aboard the ship, chuckling to themselves, while the rest of the crew watch their fellow crew members sink out of sight. Bubbles rise to the surface as the last part of the sailor sinks down below. His white hand reaches for the sky, and finally the last of his fingertips submerge. Baker, a young man of 25 years, has disappeared below the black water. A young man who intended to join the Union after his first journey out to sea. He had a young wife waiting for him back on shore, a small amount of money saved up and stashed in their room above their hotel on F Street, and a bottle of whiskey by his bedside to warm up after a hard week's work aboard the Fearless. The whiskey would stay full, the money would stay hidden, and his wife would stay alone. A widow of a sailor trying to carve out a place in this world just for him and his wife. But his dreams would drown with him. Baker's body washed ashore one week later near the mouth of the Chehalis, bloated, gray, and half-eaten by the creatures that call the waters of Gray's Harbor their home. Gol and his gang merely saw Baker as a casualty of war. He shouldn't have betrayed the Union, Gol would later remark. If he had joined their cause, he'd be alive and well. But alas, another floater would tell the tale of the fate of the scab, and served as a warning not to betray Goal. For with betrayal, death was sure to follow. Siege of the Fearless by Gol and his men brought the Aberdeen police aboard, where they searched the vessel for guns and ammunition, but weren't able to find any. Gol and his gang had tossed all the guns overboard, and claimed to merely be checking on the men working the decks. Once again, Gol got away with his dastardly deeds. One week later, Gol took eight of his men and boarded another vessel called the Watson A. West, where he heard non-unionists were aboard working the nets. As he boarded, gunshots were fired and the inevitable casualties were tossed overboard. 
two of the watchmen on board had fled in a dory when they saw Gol and his gang approaching. Despite their union membership and devotion, they were worried about getting caught up in the gunfire. A squad of police waited for Gol and his men in a handful of boats near the shore, but Gol made alternate plans. They landed on the shore a mile south near the Westport Peninsula of Grays Harbor to make their way back to the city. The police boarded the vessel, but Gol had slipped away. As the Gol ship raids continued, sailors and longshoremen refused to work any ship that was rumored to host a scab, even in the past, for fear of being caught up in a gunfight with Gol and his self-proclaimed outlaws. Deckhands began quitting, and labor was in great demand as the needs of the fishing processing plants were not being met. The police could do nothing to stop Gol and his cronies. Warrants were issued against Gol for the attacks on various ships, and captains were hopeful that his tyranny would be stopped. Gol and the captains had begun to move away from their partnership in slavery and were more concerned for their own safety and the safety of their crew. Gol would become involved with politics, held at arm's length from the law with the help of his ties to government officials, and would hide behind the veil of sanctimonious control as a partner of the corrupt leaders of the town. With intimidation and coercion, Gol would soon begin to install many of his accomplices into political office. But these appointments to office would only serve Gol for so long. After a month of deliberation, the local courts were able to try Gol for the boarding of the Fearless. Justice Fox, after hearing the witness accounts of four Fearless crew members and from Captain Lilliquist himself, charged Gol with assembling men under arms. He was released on $500 bond, equivalent to nearly $15,000 by today's standards. The fee was paid by the Sailors' Union of the Pacific. Gol had been the only witness for the defense, and he was slapped with a $1,250 fine, equivalent to $38,000, also paid off by the SUP. That following spring, Gol ran for vice president of the Washington Federation of Labor Union, and he won. Gol considered himself indestructible. His henchmen were unshakable. His wife was rarely seen in public when the ship raids began, and rumor had it that she was being held captive by Gol and a few of his crew waiting to do his bidding, whatever that would mean. The darkness behind the welcoming eyes of Billy Gole was intensifying. His hunger for power, money, and dominance over the town of Aberdeen would soon be the undoing of his ambitions, and the port of missing men would become notorious up and down the western seaboard. The fate of the sailor at Gole's hands stirred fear in the citizens, and no one was safe. Next time, on Legends and Tales of the Pacific Northwest, Gold begins to dump bodies continuously into Grays Harbor. His invincible and debonair attitude causes rumors and fear to swallow the city whole. Sailors quit. Loggers moved out. Casinos are abandoned, and the cat houses and brothels are known as diseased dwellings of chaos and crime. Gold's tirade in the city continues to destroy lives, and much like the fleet of ships that dock in Grays Harbor, the fleet of bodies begin to pile up. That's next time on Legends and Tales of the Pacific Northwest. Thanks for listening to Season 2, Episode 2 of Billy Gold. 
the ghoul of Grace Harbor. If you like the show, please give it a five-star rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends and your family. You may enjoy my other podcast, Something Cryptid This Way Comes, where we dive deep into the creatures of the Pacific Northwest and beyond, and you're immersed into stories that will set your hair on end. Available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Dialogue used in this episode is not necessarily accurate, but it is based on extensive research and events portrayed throughout the episode. Don't forget to visit the show's sponsor, BetterHelp.com and PrideCounseling.com. Visit the links in the show notes to receive 10% off your first month, or you can visit BetterHelp.com PNW and PrideCounseling.com PNWPod to learn more. Today is a great day to make changes for yourself and for your loved ones. Don't put it off. For Old Mountain Media, I'm your host, Russ Blackmore, writer, producer, and sound engineer. Special thanks to Kira Rugen for arranging our closing music. You can learn more about Kira and her music at kirarugen.com. See you next time as we dive deeper into the world of Billy Gold, the ghoul of Grays Harbor.